This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, March 5th, 2012. I'm Caleb Brown. Defending the morality of capitalism from the attacks of commies, broadly construed, is one thing. But defending capitalism from the attacks of cronies is equally important. So says Cato Institute senior fellow Tom Palmer. He spoke at the Cato Institute's Benefactors Summit in February. I want to talk a little bit about uh, the twin challenges that we face. We focused for so long on the ideological challenge posed by commies, if you will, leftists, people who hate the market economy. But I think cronyism is equally a very serious uh, and formidable foe. Uh, the work that we do is to take this on. I have a, uh, an interesting set of jobs with both Cato and Atlas. I'm on the road uh, pretty much all year round promoting our values, and I get around. I go to various interesting places, just a couple from the last year. This is with our libertarian colleagues in Nepal who are fighting off a Maoist insurgency. If you think you have it bad, imagine a parliament with two-thirds of the members are communists and over half of them are Maoists. And that is the situation that they face right now, trying to defend property rights, market economy, and our values. Uh, similarly, in other places, this was in Warsaw, recently at the Warsaw School of Economics, in Łódź, also in Poland, where we have a very active partner there. This is a crossing over the Hindu Kush with some of our libertarian friends uh, from Mazar-e-Sharif uh, to Kabul. Uh, this was recently in Nigeria. We had a big conference at Amadou Bello University, the biggest university in Nigeria, and meeting with the deans there. Uh, that was in uh, Indonesia recently, uh, Moscow, this was in Herat on the uh, Iranian border in Afghanistan with some local uh, pro-freedom activists. Uh, this was also Lagos State University. We're helping our partner Students for Liberty to organize actively in African universities. We think this is really uh, the future of liberty in that country is to deal directly with young people and bypass the uh, corrupt elites. Uh, this was in April in Tahrir Square. By the way, you can see two people, both of whom are Salafists. The one with the beard and the lady are keeping very close eyes on me. Those are the extremists, the serious Muslim extremists. And our colleagues spoke to over 100,000 people on behalf of our libertarian values. This was just recently in India. We had a whole series of programs on the morality of capitalism, a freedom caravan, if you will. Similarly, in Pakistan, where I made the case all over Pakistan and India for free trade between the two countries. They will never sort out their problems until they begin trading. Free trade is a very important ingredient in peace, and that is something that we have promoted very strongly. This is a Peking un University in Beijing. This is uh, one of our next frontiers. That was when I was in North Korea. Uh, that was on the North Korean side of Penmunjom. And we hope to have some uh, programs with our Chinese colleagues to help the poor people in North Korea to achieve something different. And this is how I will be dressed on Monday uh, in Kabul. So I typically wear Afghan clothes when I'm there. It's, a, it's an antidote to not being shot by people. Um, it's something I've been doing for a long time, uh, since uh, before the fall of the Berlin Wall. That was some old pictures I found not too long ago from the western side. And uh, my attitude there, that was 1984, on what I thought about uh, communism. Uh, this was in Prague during the revolution there. And in the um, 
square when the students had taken over the universities and kicked out the communist professors. And we should remember what it was that made us hate communism so much. It wasn't just the inefficiency. It wasn't that they had merely bad ideas. Uh, it was because it was a murderous, a brutal, evil system. I took this picture in 1984 in Berlin. Uh, a man who was shot, uh, Heinz uh, Sokolowski, it says 48 years old, East Berlin, died 11, uh, November 25th, 1965, after seven years prison in the German Democratic Republic, shot while escaping. And I kept that photo to remind me what it was that we were dealing with. The principle we have is to advance liberty, not liberty simply as it's understood in a kind of mushy way, but it's possible only in one institutional arrangement that allows human beings to flourish. A very special system, part of the modern world, and that is free market capitalism. And it deserves our enthusiastic moral support. It is morally superior to fascism, socialism, nationalism, Islamism, and all the other isms that are out there. I think it's helpful to think for a moment, what does capitalism mean? Joseph Schumpeter, a theorist whom I admire greatly, uh, described it in his uh, famous book, Capitalism, Socialism, and Democracy, a book well worth reading carefully, typically misunderstood. He thought socialism was going to come. It was, in effect, inevitable. Fortunately, he was wrong. People thought that made, meant he was a socialist. No, it meant he was deeply, profoundly depressed about the future when this book came out in 1944. Uh, he, in fact, thought this was going to be a catastrophe for the human race. But he talked about capitalism as that subsystem, subspecies of all the systems characterized by private property, carrying out new combinations. Innovation was the key in entrepreneurship. New combinations of factors of production involving the creation of credit. Very recent book, uh, quite interesting, by Joyce Appleby, professor of history at UCLA. It talks about initiatives, private initiative, which is characteristic of modern capitalism. Her book is really a fun book, The Relentless Revolution of History of Capitalism. The history of business part is fascinating. The economics is totally, completely confused. So I warn you on that score. It, uh, economically, it's an incoherent book. But it's a loving history of business innovation. It's a really a history of uh, business in the modern age. Deirdre McCloskey, a good friend of the Cato Institute, in her most recent book, Bourgeois Dignity, which is a great read, it's a wonderful, eye-opening book, uh, talks about private property and free labor without central planning, regulated by the rule of law and by ethical consensus. There's a very important ethical dimension to capitalism. She also refers to the age of innovation. I'll talk in a moment about why innovation is so important. So capitalism is an e economic system. We're accustomed to thinking about it in those terms. It's also a legal system. This is something that we now understand so much better after the collapse of the Soviet system, the importance of the legal institutions, what uh, Bill Niskanen, our late uh, chairman, used to call the soft infrastructure of the free society. Much more valuable and important than roads and dams and bridges is the legal and ethical and moral system that constrains human behavior. Milton Friedman made this very clear, I remember when he said in uh, 1988-89, when people were talking about the collapse of the Soviet Union was coming, he said there are three things you must do, privatize, privatize, and privatize. 
Many years later, because he was also a humble person, he said, you know, that was a bit naive. Privatize into what if you don't have a legal system, if you don't have the rule of law, if you don't have rules of private property that are well understood and respected? That is the important element. Capitalism is above all a legal and ethical system. But it's also a cultural system, openness to the future, willingness to accept newness, not being so backward, if you will, that we refuse to allow people to innovate, but allowing people to experiment with their own resources in a decentralized manner. Thankfully, we do not yet have a ministry or government department of innovation, although Ayn Rand does discuss that in Atlas Shrugged as the ultimate collapse when there's a government ministry in charge of innovation and science. The innovation takes place all around us in garages and little laboratories and all kinds of places and we have a system to sort out the good innovations from the bad. Most new ideas are crazy. Most genetic mutations are harmful to an organism. How do we find out the ones that are useful? It's the profit and loss system of the market economy that sends signals where people should be investing more and where they should be cutting back because they were not adding value but rather subtracting it. So capitalism has a moral foundation. It's the belief that every human life matters. The radical idea, this is really extreme and radical and rejected by most people in Washington and most of our public intellectuals, that other people don't belong to us. That crazy idea that we should respect the lives of other people to do with their own lives and with what is theirs, what they choose to do. To have the responsibility for the outcome, profits and losses, and to have the freedom to make those choices. It's based on the idea of property, property in its widest understanding, not merely estate like stuff, land, cars, but as the American founder spoke of property in yourself, your life, you yourself, you have a property in your own life, you don't belong to anybody else. In your freedom, you have a right to choose how to live. You don't have to ask other people's permission before. We call that the presumption of liberty. Whereas the socialist mentality, that common in Washington, is we give you permission to do what we allow you to do. And if you don't get our permission, you may not do that. But our perspective is exactly the opposite. Unless it's explicitly and clearly forbidden, it is allowed. The burden of proof is on someone else to show you don't have the right to do that not on you to show you have the right to speak, to act, to move, to run your business as you want. And then property and estate, your land, your house, your business, your shares, and so on. Your eyeglasses, all the things normally called property today. But the original notion of property was much broader in its, what it encompassed. Capitalism, free market capitalism is a lot more though than just well-defined, legally secure, and transferable property. There's a cultural dimension to it also that needs to be grasped in order to see why capitalism is so wonderful, what it's done for the human race. Entrepreneurship, innovation, this openness to the future. This is what many people don't like. They're frightened of it, that we can't predict and plan everything in the future. But we understand the limitations of human reason as well that the world will evolve in ways that none of us will be able to anticipate. The idea of service and of adding value. What you do in a business is you add value to the world. If you cut costs, you're not being a mean person. 
you're adding value by freeing resources to go in something else to create additional value. That's the key to free market capitalism. And of course, Schumpeter's important notion of creative destruction, this idea of innovation. He put it so clearly, the problem that is usually being visualized is how capitalism administers existing structures. Think about antitrust law in this context, right? Facebook has to be broken up. They're the biggest social network. Bastards offer me the opportunity to communicate every day with people all around the world for free. They must be punished as a consequence. But of course, the much bigger threat that they're worried about every minute is some dorky college kid working on a new project that represents a very serious threat to them, some new thing no one is anticipating. Schumpeter said the relevant problem is how it discreates and destroys structures and institutions. Constant creative destruction. Free market capitalism needs to be clearly distinguished from cronyism. I find consistently, when you sit down and talk to the Occupy Wall Street people and others, and you find the coherent ones who can form a sentence, and you ask, what is it you're angry about? They're really angry about the same things we're angry about. The bailouts, the subsidies, the interventions, the inside deals, the unfairness of it all. They don't focus so much on the inefficiency, but they see and feel the unfairness of cronyism, the revolving door between various Wall Street firms and the Treasury Department, and who got bailed out and why. And that makes them angry. And indeed, they should be angry, angry like we are. They just have a bad diagnosis of what the problem is. Cronyism is a feature of interventionism. If you have a problem, caused by interventionism, and you give more interventionism, you'll get more cronyism. Something I tried to explain on college campuses and elsewhere constantly. This is the inevitable outcome of an interventionist system, is cronyism. And indeed, we've seen this in the United States, a General Motors Corporation. You get one intervention piled on top of another. We now have GM in a new form, and of course, uh, government motors, and Solyndra, and as these emails have come out, what a dirty, filthy set of inside deals. People understand this isn't right, that if you get tight with the administration, you're going to get a half a billion dollars in loan guarantees that don't show up on the books as a liability until the firm goes bankrupt, and then the taxpayers get stuck holding the bill. In 2011, Atlas launched a global campaign on the morality of capitalism. We produced a little book here, and there's copies outside in the back if you don't have one. I hope it's a, a fairly simple, easy reading. Uh, short essays explaining the moral dimension of capitalism. We did lectures all over the United States and Canada, also with the think tanks, so it kept me on the road constantly. We have had essay contests in 11 languages. We hold what we call freedom schools, like Cato University, but in Arabic, in Persian, in Russian, Chinese, uh, French, Portuguese, and other languages. We do barnstorming tours. We've decided we need to bypass the official gatekeepers of culture and go straight to the public. So we'd call these Freedom on the Road tours. This is our group in Turkey. We've got a bus, painted all up with their, their movement, which is freedom, a rule of law and toleration, the three H's of their movement. They visited all over Turkey universities and public forums. In uh, Central Asia, our group there, we had a, a freedom bus. Their uh, logo here 
in uh, three languages, uh, Kyrgyz, of course, you recognize at the top, uh, Russian, and then English, uh, and constantly making the distinction between capitalism on the one hand and cronyism. I believe we should be on the offense on this issue. If we de are defensive, we lose. We sound like apologists for the cronies. We need to go on offense and say, this is caused by interventionism. And And we're complementing it this year with a worldwide campaign on the bankruptcy of the welfare state. Not merely financial, but moral. It is immoral to do to young people what is being done in every country around the world, loading them with debt upon debt upon debt. Seven-year-olds who cannot vote, who are, whose futures are being mortgaged by current voters. Tom Palmer is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute and is an executive vice president at the Atlas Economic Research Foundation. You can learn more about the morality of capitalism at our website, cato.org.